Good morning to our online listeners. I know we have probably more online today than usual because of sickness. There are a ton of people sick and also spring breaks going forward. And we have a team in Honduras who will probably be checking this out. We also support a ministry on campus called Launch who is doing beach reach this week where a lot of our college students are participating. So there's a lot of kingdom work going on and that's what we want to be about. That's why I'm wearing this shirt. You see, this shirt oftentimes is... Uh, what we used when baptism, but when someone is baptized, they're declaring Jesus is Lord. And our hope and our desire is that we declare Jesus is Lord, not just what happens in a baptism, but in every aspect of our life. By the way, thank you last week for the surprise, um, the uh, acknowledgement of my 10-year anniversary here. I looked over at my wife and I was like, you knew about this, didn't she? And she was like, yep. I was like, mm -hmm. so, but I do appreciate your kindness, your generosity, and just your thoughts. Um, it's an honor to be your uh, pastor, but let's remember that it's about keeping Jesus as our Lord. That's what it's about. As we're turning in our Bibles, I invite you to turn to Luke 19, Luke chapter 19. You have your Luke Bibles. You can turn there. And as we're doing that, um, we're going to be reading 11, verses 11 through 27, but before we actually break that down. I'm going to give you a summary rather than reading all at once because we're actually going to read all the verses later on in the service. So Luke chapter 19 is where we're going to be reading, and it's the story of the 10 minutes. So there was a, a, a master who goes and leaves 10 minutes with 10 servants. And then he goes away and he says, I'm going to be returning. And when he returns, he comes back and he encounters one of the servants. And he said, Master, I've taken the minute you gave me. And I've made 10 other minna as a result of it. Minna was money. So think of it like in terms of dollar bills, okay? Dollar bills, yo. And as he was doing that, um, he, made, he made a lot more money back and gave it back to the master. And the master looked at him and said, well done, good and faithful servant. So you shall be over 10 towns. Well, then there was another servant who came in and he said, master, I took your minna and made five minas out of it. And he said, well done, you good and faithful servant. So you will be over five towns. And then the story takes an ironic little twist that at first glance may seem like, how is this Christ-like, even though it's Christ telling the story, so it is. But follow with me. We're going to go to where the story is about. He says, there's the story of a third servant who comes and said, Master, I knew that you were a difficult man to please. So I buried your talent. Here it is back. I didn't want to risk losing it and incur your wrath. And he says to him, you are a wicked servant. And he takes the minna away from him and gives it to another person. Now, what's this story really about? That's what we're going to cover. And what's this story have to do with us in the modern day? And I got a spoiler for you. It's about making sure Jesus is Lord. All right. So let's go back and break that down. That's the kind of the overarching story. We begin in verse 11 of Luke 19. As they were listening to this, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem. Pause right there. Next week, we start the journey towards Jerusalem. The journey towards Jerusalem is symbolic of a time that prepares us for Easter. So we are approaching the Easter story. He was near Jerusalem, and then he starts journeying to Jerusalem right after this. So he was setting them up saying, get ready. Okay? And they thought the kingdom of God was going to appear right away. Therefore, he said, a nobleman traveled to a far country to receive for himself authority to be the king and then to return. 
He called 10 of his servants, gave them 10 minutes, and told them, engage in business till I came back. So the far country would be the equivalent of heaven. And the fact that Jesus would return is a reminder to us all that one day the Lord will return. You see, Jesus in this instance was preparing the disciples for his absence. He said, I'm not going to always be with you. Yes, he leaves us the Holy Spirit, but, but the fact is Jesus will return is important. And so Jesus is not currently here with us in human form. Can we all agree to that, right? His Spirit is with us, but there can be a temptation for us out of sight, literally out of mind. So this story is about a reminder to, in the absence of the physical body of Jesus, we are to be about the Father's business. And we are his servants. You know the problem with telling someone that you're a servant? No one likes to be told what to do. Have you ever noticed that no one really likes to be, does anybody really like to be told what to do? I mean, from the time I was a little child, I didn't like to be told what to do. My mom used to tell the story that I got in trouble twice as much before the age of six as my two brothers did their entire life. I mean, I was the kid who said, I do it myself, right? And I was the kid, my, I would go over to the electrical outlet. I've, I've shared this with you in the past. And my mom would have to gently touch my hand and say, no, no, dangerous. And I'd wipe the tears away from my face and start crawling over to the next electrical outlet to make sure my mom knew that I was in charge. And it seems like for many of us, we come out of the womb like that. It's like, I want to do what I want to do. So in verse 14, that's the background of this verse. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to rule over us. Now, who this verse was originally referring to, was it all Jews or was it just the leaders of the religious parties that it was referring to? I don't really know, and it's kind of disputed, but there is a translation that we can apply to our life that we all at times don't live our lives like we should, acknowledging that Jesus is Lord. Another way to say that. There are times that we all sin because we want to be in control of our lives. And so this is the idea of Jesus is to be our authority. And we can either resent or submit. Those are your two choices. You can either resent his authority or submit to his authority. But we will ultimately answer to his authority. The day will come when he will return. I think that's really important because uh, the idea of Lord means master. And so we like the idea, and the disciples at the time liked the idea of following Jesus because they felt like he was a powerful man. And they were expecting Jesus to set up an earthly kingdom. And who doesn't want to be the right-hand man or right-hand woman of the king? Because you get a lot of benefits. In other words, you want what you can get at the detriment of other people. Elevate me, Lord, above over everyone else. Give me what I need. And this is the way a lot of us first come to encounter Christ. Our marriage is struggling, so we show up at church. Our kids are struggling. So we show up at church. We've lost our job, so we show up at church. Or maybe you've just been a generational person that comes up, but, and you, you've always been at church, but the times that if you notice that you really kind of hone into what God is asking you, for many of us, it are those times that we are having struggles in this life. Because we like the idea of one day 
I'm not going to struggle anymore. So I'm going to stay close enough to Jesus so that I can have an eternity with him. But the moment that life starts skewing back into our favor, we start playing with the nuances of our life to really we're saying, okay, Jesus, you're Lord, but I'm not going to really give you your attention. So as Jesus is telling the story, he's saying, I'm actually going away. And how you live in the here and now matters. And one day you will be held accountable for how you live that life. So let's continue reading. At his return, having received the authority to be king, he summoned those servants he had given much money to so that he could find out how much they had been made in business. At first glance, we can skip over this verse real quickly, but did you get that the master was now king? This verse is very important for us understanding that Jesus was more than just a man, but he was also fully man. And when he returns, there will be no one who questions that Jesus is now the king. Every knee will bow, but when he was on earth, they saw him just as a man. So this is recognizing the humanity. Jesus was a real man, but he was also fully God. But when he returns, everyone will acknowledge that he is the king. But the way that we live our life now matters in how that king will look at us. So let's continue reading in verse 16. Because this story then is really about how we are using the resources God has given us while he's gone. The first came forward and said, Master, your minna has earned ten more minutes. Well done, good servant, he told him. Because you have been faithful in a very small matter, have authority over ten towns. The second came and said, Master, your minna has made five minutes. So he said, you will be over five towns. Who doesn't love this idea? God, I want to be faithful. What do I get? What do I get? What do I get? Right? But I want you to observe a couple things real quick. Both this passage and in the passage, the similar story in Matthew, describe the fact that we are not all able to take all the same resources and produce the same result. Translation. Some of us, will be able to do mighty deeds of the Lord with the Lord moving in our life, and we will see the reward of it, and there will be multiplication that is beyond our comprehension. That is for the glory of God. But some of us will see a little less reward. But really, the key to all of this isn't about what you get, which a lot of times what we want to do is God, I want to see things turn the way that I want to see. I want to feel holier than everyone else. I want to feel more righteous than everyone else. I want to feel like my life is better than everyone else. And that's a comparison game. And the Bible's not asking us to play a comparison game. Instead, what he's trying to ask us to realize is, how are you using your resources for the kingdom of God? In this story, the resources is representative of money. Amina is money, in case you didn't realize that, right? But as you're investing it, the resources here does not necessarily mean money in our life. It's every resource God has given you. You and I were not made by accident. I believe that goes back all the way to the Imagio day that you were made, and the Bible says in Jeremiah 1, before you were formed in the womb, God knew you, and God don't make junk. And so you have some abilities, you have some gifts, you have some time, you have some finances. 
You have all of these contributing factors in your life. Every resource that you have, in other words, everything that the government doesn't make you pay them, though you have authority over, you have these gifts, these resources, these extra time, these extra abilities that you can allocate how you want to. Are we using this for the glory of God? Are you using your gifts, your talents, and your abilities for the glory of God? Because ultimately, our resources are given to us from God, and how we invest in them matters. How we invest them matters. So, how are you investing your resources? How are you spending your time? How are you using your gifts and your abilities? Let's cover real quick three ways that we need to uh, examine how we're using our resources. The first way, investing our resources requires intentionality. Intentionality, knowing how they're used and the ways that we're using them. This is the idea of, well, am I really using my abilities and gifts for God's glory? Can I tell you as a pastor, one of the things I've observed time and time again, a lot of times people don't use their inventory, their resources, their abilities, their, ga- their gifts starting to speak too quick. Their talents, because they don't ever pause to examine and take an inventory what their talents and gifts are. Life comes at you fast, right? But we live in a respond culture. And so here's the way this works a lot of times. People show up at church and the pastor says, hey, we need someone to work in the nursery. And you go, okay, I can do that. But are you gifted in that area? Or we might ask you to do something else. And so we respond instead of really understanding what it looks like to say, God, here is how you wired me. So if you're an introvert, God has a place for you. If you're an extrovert, God has a place for you. Some of us have the natural abilities to go and take a lump of coal and to turn it into a big bag of money. Some of us have the ability to take a big bag of money and turn it into a lump of coal, right? Some of you could talk to a brick wall and convince it that it needs the Lord. That might be a hyperbole, slight exaggeration to prove a point. But you have the gift and the ability to naturally connect with anyone you're around. Some of you do not. And what we sit here is we sit here and struggle and we go, but God, I can't do fill in the blank. And God goes, okay, but I have wired you to be who you are. Are you intentional in understanding what you are good at? So some of you are good at smiling and waving at people. You need to talk to Jeff Brenner after the church and be a greeter, or you need to be a person who works in the parking lot. Right, Jeff? Amen. He said, absolutely, but I'm going to say like he said, amen. This idea of, okay, I'm going to connect. I'm going to, in fact, Jeff doesn't know I'm doing this, and I just threw him on the fly, but I can do it because he's on staff. I wouldn't do this to you. But Jeff's on staff because I looked at him one day, and I said, Jeff, God wants to use you. And then the next thing you know, he's on staff. Some of you might, that might scare, but that's kind of the way it works sometimes, right? The community will surround you. And what does the community say you're good at? Are you stepping into that? In other words, some of you think you're really good teachers, but you're not. Don't be a teacher. 
But some of you need to be teaching and everyone around you says you need to impart wisdom to other people and you're shying away from that or you have an excuse because you're too young. Your kids are in a difficult season of life or you're too old. Do you see how those work? We come up with excuse after excuse instead of saying, God, here's my life. Here's my inventory. And if you've given me this ability, if you've given me this resource, this time, if you've given me the ability to serve you, Everything I have is for your glory. Here it is. Use it. Investing our resources requires intentionality. Investing our resources requires faithfulness. We've talked a lot about this. It's the idea of faith equals hope plus action. And faithfulness means full of faith. So if we are to be faithful, we need to be full of faith, which means we need to be full of hope and action. The illustration we like to use around here a lot is the farmer. Why? We have a lot of corn around here, y'all. And when the farmer puts that seed in the ground, he does not see the crop immediately. It requires hope and belief that the crop will grow. Now, here's the key. What do we say also? The farmer works the land, but God grows the crop. So we are to till the soil of our life, believing that God will use that. And here's where we get a lot of times distracted in our faithfulness. We lose hope because we want an instant gratification society. God, I witnessed to that person. Why didn't they come to you? Instead of realizing that if you talk to that person, you might be the third person out of a series of seven in the course of their lifetime that allows that person to receive Christ. You may never see the crop, but it doesn't mean that God isn't growing the crop. You may not be able to see all of the accolades and all the ways that God is using you, but do you believe that you can have a generational impact? So let's take the intentionality and marry it with this concept of faithfulness. Say you're the person who volunteers to work with babies every week because for whatever reason, God has given you the ability to wipe crusty noses off time and time and time again, and you aren't squeamish about it, but you actually find joy in doing that. Y'all, that is a gift. And you might sit here and go, what good is this doing? But do you realize that by you doing that, you're allowing a mom or a dad to experience and encounter the Word of God. And then that parent might grow up to live for God and invest in that child. And that child might grow up to be a great evangelist. That child may grow up to be a missionary. That child may grow up to be a noble banker who creates great resources for the kingdom of God or becomes a banker who wins his branch to the Lord or becomes a teacher that helps educate or becomes the Christian professor who is light in the dark world. And all of this is because of the faithfulness of someone who is gifted at wiping the crusty noses off little faces. Do you get it? Do you have hope and belief that God can use your abilities to multiply the kingdom of God? Investing our resources not only requires intentionality, not only requires faithfulness, but it requires focus. Why? Squirrel. Some of you, you're laughing because you get it. Squirrel is the mentality of I'm going to get distracted and here comes an obstacle. And so, we, and so this is where excuses in our life gets because we respond. We're not told to actually go out and discipline, but the farmer has to continually work the land and they have to remain focused even when the crops aren't coming up really quick. 
I like to describe this, um, a lot of times the reason we fail at this is, I call this the, I'm going to the doctor to get blood work done. Oh no, I need to change my diet for three days before I go and hope that it somehow miraculously changes. Is that anybody else? Does it, maybe you're, if you haven't gotten there, you're probably either already living healthy or you're really young, okay? But when you get my age, the temptation is a lot of times, I got blood work next week, time to change my diet to somehow fool the doctor into thinking that I'm healthier than I am so that he can tell me I don't have to change my lifestyle. Do you see anything wrong with that? Right? And that's the mentality a lot of times we have in our faith. It's got, oh, Sunday morning time to fool the doctor, the ultimate healer, the ultimate physician into to thinking I'm doing good so that he doesn't look at me and require me to change my lifestyle because I really want to consume what I want to consume, right? Instead of really being diligent, really being faithful to say, okay, y'all, it takes three months of healthy living to actually get an accurate draw of what the doctor would tell you to do, speaking to the choir the choir is me, okay? And this is the idea of really understanding. I need to understand that if I'm going to live for Christ, I have to stay focused and not try to fool myself by fooling the doctor because this ultimately isn't healthy for me. How are you doing? You see, we all in this room, if we have a relationship with Jesus, realize he's coming back. But the temptation is to go, I'm going to live like I want to. And at the end of my life, I'm going to adjust and hope God notices. Well, that's the story of the guy who buried the talent. Let's continue reading. Verse 20. And another came and said, Master, here's your minna. I've kept it safe in a cloth because I was afraid of you since you're a harsh man. At first story, first glance, it's like, what's going on here? You collect what you didn't deposit and you reap what you didn't sow. So he told him, I will condemn you by what you have said, you evil servant. If you knew I was a harsh man collecting what I didn't deposit and reaping what I didn't sow, why then didn't you put my money in the bank? And when I returned, I would have collected it with interest. So he said to those standing here, take the minute away from him and give it to the one who is 10 minutes. At first glance, I'm reading this, and I've already told you this. This doesn't feel very holy to me. This doesn't feel like in the nature of how Jesus would act from a human perspective at what I'm saying. But I, I want to tell you there's two parts to this story. The first part is highly disputed, so I'm going to tell you my theological opinion. The second part is not disputed, and I'm going to tell you what, what the, all the commentaries agree. Is that fair enough? I always try to distinguish. So the first part we can kind of argue over a little, but the second part I want us to really resonate with. The first part is this idea that when the uh, servant says, I was afraid of you since you're a harsh man, and the king responds, I will condemn you by what you have said, this is the idea of not necessarily saying the king is evil, but he's saying the servant used that as an excuse. And the king condemned him by his own words. And let me give you another translation. Let's say you're in trouble as a little kid. And dad comes to you and you go, hey, dad, you're a harsh man. And he's like, oh, your dad, you're evil. Dad's probably going to go, I'm going to show you evil. Right? By your words, you're condemned instead of going, forgive me, dad. I didn't know what I was doing. Do you understand that? 
So that's, that's kind of my opinion of what's happening there. There's some arguments there. We can talk about that another time offline. If you want to ask me more, I can tell you more. But that's kind of what I feel like is happening here. But here's the part that is not disputed. The servant was considered evil because he didn't want responsibility. He wanted to live his life without having to manage the kingdom work. In other words, he didn't bury the talent because he was really fearful. He buried the talent because he didn't want to have to work. The others, when they went out, what you'd have to do is you, if you had a minute, you'd have to go to the marketplace. You'd have to risk. You'd have to get up in the morning. You'd have to, to go and figure out what to trade in. You'd have to, you'd have to take the time. You'd have to, to monitor, to use modern day terms, the stock market. Is it going up and down? It would require a lot of attention, a lot of effort, and a lot of risk to make sure that he was using his abilities to bring back a reward. Both the guy who brought back 10 and both the guy who brought back five would have been faithful to continually work it. Now, the guy who buried it didn't have to go to the market. He got to stay home and live life how he wanted to, knowing that one day the king's going to come back and I'll just give him what he— So it's this mentality. I received Christ. I said Jesus is Lord and was baptized, but I didn't make my life reflect that Jesus is Lord. And because I didn't make my life—I'm going to come to God and go— Hey, God, I was baptized once. And he's going to go, that didn't mean that you actually made me your Lord. It just meant you got wet. See, baptism is symbolic of a life that is lived for the glory of God. All of us will fail at that. I'm not trying to rebaptize 150 people here today. None of us are perfect, but a big marker of a life lived in recognition that Jesus is Lord is you recognize the King is returning and you use your gifts, your time, your talent, your ability, and your resources for the glory of God. So that's it. That's the story. How are you investing in the kingdom of God? Can I just tell you, far too often churches, and I don't think that's where we are, but we have to squirrel, right? But far too often churches become country club mentalities that people come up and what I can get out of it. If this is my community. These are my friends. Pastor, don't really challenge me. God, I don't really want you to challenge me. I want to come up and walk through the motions and leave unchanged and live in the routine that I am. And I'm saying that is not of God. Churches through learning and training and community, which is what we describe the discipleship pathway, should challenge us to be drawn into the presence of God and require us to stay intentional in the kingdom work, to stay focused on the kingdom work, and to stay faithful, believing that God will bring about the result, even if it's not for generations. So somewhere in here, there's likely a mom who's worried about your kids. And you've lived your whole life, and you're wondering, God, why? And I would say this, I can't promise anything, but maybe your kids will come to Christ after you're gone. Stay faithful. Use your resources, your talents, and your abilities. You may not even see the result of it. And I know a mama's and a dad's heart may want that. Stay faithful, believing that God can do great things. Let your kids see the evidence of a life lived of faith over a long haul. Some of you may be in bad relationships. and You're going, God, where are you? Stay faithful. Not saying anyone should stay in an abusive relationship at all. That's a different story. But stay faithful 
to God and let God navigate your path. Some of you might be longing to be married both tomorrow or 10 years from now. Stay faithful, being the best person you can be and see what God can do. Some of you are wanting a career promotion or stay faithful and make it not about you and see what God can do because the reward we receive will never be about us. The 10 towns is because they were trusted with the kingdom work. They're going to navigate that 10 towns for the glory of God, not because they get a bigger retirement benefit, right? And so as we're staying faithful, God's going to bless your life and you're going to have the fruits of the Spirit, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the love, the gentleness, the long-suffering, which we don't like to talk about. You're going to be able to navigate this world in different ways. Stay faithful. The farmer works the ground knowing that the crop will come up, whether in your lifetime or in lifetimes to come, because you never know what impact a little gesture, a little investment might mean, not only for you, but for generations to come. Church, invest in the kingdom of God. And when we don't, let's repent. So here's our daily training today. I'd like to encourage you to pause and assess your inventory. Pause and assess your inventory. What do I mean by that? How much time do you have? What are your abilities? What are your talents? What do other people acknowledge? And how are you giving those to the glory of God? Are you faithful in the little things so that God can be faithful in the big? We will all fall short, and when we fall short, we're going to get back up. But whether you're the youngest person in this room or the oldest person in this room, I believe God has a purpose for you being on this planet. So don't take that lightly. You see, there will be a judgment regarding how we use our resources. That's the negative part of the story. But let's not spend too much time on that because a life lived for the kingdom of God doesn't have to worry about that. But I do need to tell you that part. Rather, I want you to see the ramifications of how we serve the king begin here and now. And the life that is to come can begin here and now when we learn to trust God with all of us. We're about to sing a song, He Reigns Above It All. And worship is our response to God, proving that he is worthy. So can I just challenge us this morning? Listen to the words of the song, but let this be the cry of your heart. Maybe this room can sing louder today than we've ever sung before. Some of you are like, you have not heard me sing. Sing monotone, but maybe just like, like this, you know? But don't worry what your neighbor thinks. If some of you may need to kneel and pray because your heart is broken for a loved one. Do that. Come pray with us at the end of the service. Some of you may want to raise your hand, but you're scared. What anyway? Don't worry about it. Because the presence of God is here. Act like the king is already returned and you're standing at the throne room of God and you're declaring both now and through eternity, you reign above it all. Forever. Church, this is what we're about declaring. Jesus is Lord now and into eternity. So let's declare with our hearts that he is worthy. Let's declare with our lives he is worthy. Let us live with reckless abandon for the glory of God and declare, Jesus, you reign above it all. So God, take this moment as a true moment, an offering to you. Oh God, move.
God, help us in this time to give you everything that we can. To abandon our fears and to give them to you. To abandon our worries and to give them to you. To work the soil of our own heart and plant seeds of faith that will blossom into a life that produces great fruit. So that when you return, you can say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. God, forgive us when we make it about ourselves. God, help us to see your character, your worth, your value, because you are good and holy and just. You are kind and loving, and you reign above it all. Amen.